Hey, hello, and hi. Welcome to Reading Between the Lines. I'm CJ, an investor opportunist and enthusiast when it comes to narratives and stories that are potentially shaping the markets. And this podcast covers narratives that are circulating the financial industries, how the markets are reacting, and how it can affect you and your money so you can achieve financial freedom. The three stories I want to jump in today, as of October the 11th of 2021, are labor shortages, supply chain chaos, and China's slowing growth. And then we'll dive into how the markets are reacting this past week. So let's begin with labor shortages. We've all seen and heard and are now convinced that these labor shortages are going to persist. But economists are projecting that things will get better. Let's review the details and I'll share my thesis based on the information I've uncovered. So let's dive into it. The first contributing factor is early retirement. Remember what happened with the global financial crisis during 2007-2008? Well, this repeated again with COVID. People who are going to retire in the next few years retired early. The second contributing factor to labor shortages is benefits. Many workers that were displaced in the hospitality sector are now looking for jobs that offer benefits such as healthcare, tuition reimbursement, and childcare. In addition, many childcare facilities aren't fully open, resulting in parents staying home and missing out on extra income. Which brings me to number three, skills mismatch. Many high paying jobs offering all the bells and whistles for benefits, including remote work, are having a hard time filling those positions due to unqualified applicants. These are the individuals switching from one industry to another with no working knowledge or poor cross-training. As mentioned before, with the portion of older workers taking early retirement, leaders in senior positions failed to cross-train their protégés. So unfortunately, they can't advance internally, leaving human resources with the burden of hiring out. The fourth and final contributing factor in labor shortages is COVID. COVID still exists and people are still worried about getting hospitalized, which puts stress on jobs that require workers to be on location. Hmm, I wonder what jobs that might be. Hospitality industry, retail, grocery workers, meat, poultry factories, distribution centers, and hospital facilities are many examples. In addition, President Biden is pressing the Labor Department to enforce a vaccine mandate on businesses of 100 or more employees to vaccinate their staff or have their workers undergo once a week testing. I've seen headlines of unions not complying from teachers to hospital unions, even NBA players and celebrities refusing to be vaxxed. Instead, they're relying on natural immunity and frequent testing. Folks, please share this content with your family, friends and colleagues. I want to know your thoughts. Are you seeing labor shortages? Did you end up taking early retirement? Are you currently struggling to fill positions? Are you fighting for better benefits? Are you getting pressured into getting vaccinated from your employer? I want to know your thoughts. Which brings me to our next segment, supply chain chaos. Bloomberg's David Weston, where he interviews the U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg warns that supply chain bottlenecks will likely impact the holiday shopping season. He goes into further detail. Let's go ahead and play the clip. First of all, what I think I can call a crisis with our ports right now on the West Coast and the East Coast, when we have all those ships lined up trying to offload. And by the way, we don't have the trucks to get the stuff off the ports anyway. What can you do about that problem? So uh, this is a challenge that really stretches across the entire supply chain. If, if you think about it, if the ships are there, the, then actually uh, uh, the ships are not uh, uh, where the, the, the entirety of, of the issue lies. It's really everything in between. In addition to issues in, in shipping, 
It's everything in between that, that ship that, that's waiting for its chance to come into port and the shelf where that product is supposed to wind up in the end. Uh, that means the ports themselves. It means uh, rail. It means trucking. Uh, it means everything in the movement of those goods. And we do believe there is a role for the, the federal government to play to help smooth out some of these supply chain issues. It's, it's largely a private sector system. Uh, but when the president signed the executive order early this year, when we brought together the White House Task Force on uh, Supply Chain Disruptions uh, that's working as, as we speak, uh, to to continue addressing these. What we found is that we can play a role as a kind of honest broker, bringing together a lot of the key players in order to uh, take away some of the obstacles to things moving smoothly. Uh, for example, uh, the ports of LA and Long Beach recently announced an expansion in access and their hours. That's one thing that can reduce the bottlenecks. Uh, we are funding, of course, as a department, a lot of work on the rails, uh, on the roads, and, and supporting trucking, you know, which is also a, a big issue. We've got some real challenges on the labor side with the turnover of truck drivers uh, that can make it harder to get goods to where they need to go. Uh, so yes, it's complex. Yes, it's global. Yes, it's largely private sector. Uh, but we know that there is a lot that we can do in this administration. And that's exactly the, what the White House has been challenging my department and other departments to step up and do. Uh, when we read the media, and I understand media sometimes can overhype it, we hear about that Christmas might be in jeopardy. By the way, not just the United States. We read about it in Germany as well. What is the risk that we will not have the goods on the shelves for Christmas? Well, look, uh, uh, what we know is that there are short-term actions that we can take that are making a difference already. Uh, we just saw, for example, a considerable reduction in the dwell time uh, on rail, uh, the transfer to, to rail at those ports of LA and Long Beach. By the way, those two ports uh, alone represent about 40% of our containerized traffic. Some of this is, is a bigger picture, longer term issue that's going to take years and years to address. Uh, it goes to the very uh, uh, foundations of, of how our trade works. Um, but what we're seeing is that piled up next to an issue created by the recovery from the pandemic. Uh, we have record uh, traffic at, at some of these container ports. Uh, part of what's happened is as people's incomes have returned, they're spending that income less on things like uh, you know, going to uh, uh, crowded uh, uh, theaters or, or uh, uh, restaurants uh, compared to uh, on physical goods, which puts a lot of pressure on, the, uh, on our shipping and, and supply chain resources. So these uh, challenges are definitely gonna continue in the months and the years ahead. Folks, not only does this affect US supply chain, but global networks are having the same problem coming back online. Have you had trouble finding products? Are you struggling to receive supplies? If so, how long are the delays? Are you doubling up on your orders? Let me know your thoughts. Our next segment is China slowing growth. A lot of Wall Street insiders are following the developments of why China's slowing. One contributing factor is high energy costs. Shortages are ongoing and about 20 providences are curving electricity output, primarily because of high coal prices. In fact, an article from Reuters published recently details about China is releasing Australian coal from bonded storage, despite nearly a year-long unofficial import ban on fuels as it scrambles to ease national power crunch stemming from a coal shortage, traders familiar with the matter said. Let's go ahead and play the clip I have here. I'm guessing you're looking very busy right now. Uh, walk us through just kind of the, the impact we're seeing downstream in particular, and how do you parse through the winners and losers right now? Yeah, hi there. Uh, yeah, as you said, the uh, the power shortages are, are, are still on, ongoing. Uh, I think we've got a count of 20 provinces uh, where there are electricity curbs. Uh, 
principally because of very high coal prices, uh, which is causing power generators to shut down and, and power rationing in the provinces. You mentioned uh, Toyota there. Now, the details are quite sketchy, but Toyota, which makes, I think, uh, a million vehicles a year in, in, in China, has said there are some it has had some impact from the power shortages. So that's a, a big name being affected. Um, we're not sure of the details um, yet, but it's a big name being affected, whereas before we were talking, you know, about textile plants, uh, toy plants, uh, uh, some auto parts and, and things like that. So this is, this is ongoing and we're still on watch for, for more effects. A second contributing factor is Evergrande. If you're not familiar with the Evergrande story, they're a big player, if not the biggest player in the property development sector. China's property development market plays a critical part in the economy and makes up about 25% of China's GDP growth. Worries are growing that Evergrande is not the only developer with these default woes. In fact, a recent CNBC article was released this week, which goes into detail about rating agencies have downgraded Chinese developers Fantasia Holding and Cynic Holdings over risk from their stranded cash flow situations. And this time around, unlike the GFC, China has released multiple statements that they are not going to stimulate the housing sector. This is due to policy changes. Which leads me to the third and final contributing factor some of us have heard the term common prosperity. This is a policy change in which its objective is to have China from all different incomes rise together in unison. One of the ways to even the playing field is to curb speculation in the housing market. Policymakers have released statements that housing is for living, not speculation. This is spooking investors because many wealthy individuals have parked their money in housing. Now, it doesn't end there. China's curbing private tuition as well. This is by design, addressing inequality in China's society and leading to potential slowdown in GDP growth. Here's a clip going into detail about that. 0% growth in the third quarter. Is it mostly because of the energy constraints that we're seeing right now? Right. Uh, if you look at uh, you know, we, uh, the downgrade in Q3 GDP, actually a chunk of that was related to the virus outbreak mm. that we saw in July and yeah. August. And the August activity data uh, showed the damage from the virus-related controls. Uh, in addition to that, most recently we're seeing uh, power outages and uh, electricity shortages, and that translates into production cuts. It's pretty severe, but it's only the last 10 days of uh, September. So in terms of uh, over Overall impact on Q3 GDP uh, that translate to about one percentage points uh, sequential annualized uh, growth rate. Um, I think we've seen close to 10 days of liquidity injections from the PBOC. Is this a, a telling sign to you that they're trying to limit the risk as much as possible when it comes to the, the cooling of the economy? And does that mean we're going to get a triple R cut pretty soon? Right. When you look at the seasonal pattern every year around this time ahead of the long holiday, uh, PBOC typically inject more liquidity, uh, both in terms of a 14-day OMO uh, 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 and also uh, just managing uh, market liquidity overall. Um, so we are expecting triple R, but we think the recent injection, uh, most of that is uh, likely seasonal. Mm. We talked about the supply shocks that we're seeing, whether it's a crackdown uh, uh, when it comes to energy, uh, tech, and, and, and the like, property. These are all self-inflicted sorts of crackdowns Correct. here. But do you think that there is a bit of tolerance here in terms of just how 
willing China is to sacrifice growth for some of these structural reforms? Yeah, it's a bit surprising to us as well how much uh, regulatory and uh, uh, just the policy tightening that has been happening uh, over the past few months. Uh, I think that tells you that uh, uh, indeed growth is not the number one priority for uh, the policymakers this year. Uh, we did a sort of a scenario analysis. If you assume growth is 0% Q3, 0% in the Q4, pretty severe, mm. you still get above 7% full year mm. GDP growth. Um, and remind that uh, uh, the audience that the, the target for the whole year is above six percent. Yeah. So that tells you that the um, the growth target is really not binding. So that's why we think policymakers are taking this opportunity uh, to do the things that they want to do, um, which impact the economy negatively. How are you interpreting the silence from from China when it comes to Evergrande right now? And maybe in terms of a longer term picture, does this bring to question here a change in the growth model for China that it's just steering away uh, in a very aggressive way away from the build, build, build model? Right. I think fundamentally or structurally, there is a shift. And that shift didn't happen yesterday. That happened a few years ago uh, when this, the, this uh, um, policy maker talk about housing is for living enough for speculation. Uh, they really want to uh, change the role of a housing market, both in terms of uh, cyclical policy, because previously, in previous cycles, when the economy is under uh, pressure, they will stimulate the sector. That's not going to happen again. Uh, in terms of Evergrande, that more short term, um, I think that uh, the market needs some uh, clear communication from policymakers, but we're seeing signs of policymakers. Uh, they're not sitting aside and not doing anything. If you look at yesterday Q3 monetary policy meeting statement, mm. they mentioned housing. Uh, mm. That's probably resp a response to Evergrande. And Yigan talked a little bit more about keeping policy, pol policy normal uh, and also warning that all the other central banks uh, about continuing on when it comes to QE. What, what can you tell about that kind of hawkish, it seems very hawkish, this kind of signal. What do you think that tells you? Right. Uh, it is a hawkish, but it's also not new. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, whether it's Guo Shuqing or uh, Yigang uh, statements uh, previously, uh, they have always been saying that uh, to lose the monetary policy, uh, few asset bubbles and have negative consequences. So they are of the view that uh, uh, monetary policy should uh, leave room because uh, you don't know what's going to happen next. You want to have room to cut when it's uh, needed. So I don't think that part is uh, necessary. Uh, new, but it does sound pretty hawkish. Folks, I want to know your thoughts on this. Do you travel to China for business? Are you seeing a slowdown? Do you have any relatives there that are trying to find assets outside of real estate to park their money? Share your thoughts. Now let's move on to the final segment of this episode to see how financial markets are reacting this past week. The Dow Jones Industrial finished the week up over 1%. The S&P finished the week just over three quarters of a percent, while the NASDAQ Composite finished the week basically unchanged. And the Russell 2000 was the only index that finished the past week down just over a third of a percent. Now, I found an interesting clip from CNBC Power Lunch this week where Greg Branch from Veritas Financial Group goes into detail about the current state of the market and where he advises to put your money to work. I see it says in my notes here, expect things to worsen over the next few weeks. Ah, gosh, I just don't need that. <laughs> Why? None of us need that, my friend. Oh, yeah. So when you look at the sell-off on Monday, every single risk, every single concern, every single headwind uh, that you could attribute that to will intensify. Inflation will rise dramatically higher from here. 
the supply chains are broken in, into 2022. The, there is backup at the ports. There's backup in the warehouses. There's limited trucking with elevating rates at all of those levels. Container prices have gone 400 and 500% above last year to Europe and the U.S. Add to that that the labor market isn't seeing the supply of labor replenish in the way that the Fed had hoped. And so we looked at the jolts. There was 11 million jobs, mm -hmm. but there's only about 8.7 million workers looking for work. And so even a robust job number tomorrow, 500, 600,000, only puts but a small debt. And so we're going to see CPI of 6% this year. We're going to see PCE of 5% mm -hmm. this year. That's not priced in. And so whether it's inflation, whether it's broken supply chains, whether it's even the debt ceiling, which we'll be revisiting four weeks from now, mm -hmm. every single concern will so intensify. Why is so the market, why is the market today taking a chill pill and moving higher? I mean, is this just a, is this just a temporary um, uh, tonic because they, they, they reached some agreement on, on, on not bringing the, the, the hammer down on the debt limit until December? I think so. And, and I think if you look at the yield, the yields, yields tell the story. Yields are still rising. The yields know that this is but a temporary reprieve and that all of the structural issues that cause us, that cause uh, folks like me to stay on the sidelines a bit here, um, they still exist and they will intensify. So, so this was a relief rally that we could expect, but it's temporary. It's really a, uh, if, if I'm going to infer from what you're saying, that this is not a time to buy. This is a time to wait for a better time to buy. That's exactly right. Where I have to add here, I'm looking at sectors that are insulated from some of these concerns, that are insulated from rising wage costs, that are insulated or can pass on raw material or, or other types of inflation. And there are a few sectors that offer that. Uh, energy offers that. They pass everything on to the consumer uh, in the energy industry. So I'd look at some natural gas levered. I'd look at some big integrated. I'd look at some infrastructure there. Financials. There are, the large diversifieds have shown that they don't need a more favorable net interest margin environment to show growth. It'll help, mm -hmm. but we've seen this year that they don't actually need that. The Morgan Stanleys, the JP Morgans, that they can show growth on the back of their capital markets, their trading, their advisory business. Now, after listening to the clip, essentially, if you have money in the market, raise cash if you don't feel comfortable to play any industries and wait for the market to finish correcting. I would like to add to all those crypto investors, that's the same as going into stable coins. Just before I go, another article was recently released. I found this on Zero Hedge from US equity strategist Debrava Buchas, noting that the bank is quietly telling a subset of its top clients that they should keep shorting the market. The article goes on to say they have five reasons why shorts can continue to work in the medium term. I advise you to check out that article on Zero Hedge and share your thoughts if any of this makes sense to you. Finally, as information continues to be available, just remember, keep reading between the lines.